Morning. Good to see you here this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to be here in this place and to sing songs to, to praise you and to learn and to grow through them. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to freely open up your word and be taught by it. Lord, as we look today at the Psalms and we seek to know the heart of the worshiper, we uh, we ask that you would illuminate for us the truths found into it, found in it, that you would soften our hearts, uh, open up our ears and open up our eyes so that we might uh, see and hear what you would have to teach us. Lord, it's in your precious and holy son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Turn with me. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them on out. Mark them up if you're the marking kind of person. To the book of Psalms, the first Psalm, Psalm 1. As Wes already mentioned, today is the fifth Sunday of the month, so in in months that have five Sundays, which happens about four times a year, we pause whatever we're doing and we go to the book of Psalms and uh, look particular at the heart of the worshiper. And I think that's what, uh, that's that's kind of been the theme of of this series as we've done this over the past couple years. um, I think today's no different. Psalm chapter, Psalm 1, not really chapter, but Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that is that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of right of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, Psalm 1. Um, typically, when we come to the Psalms, because we don't, we're not going through the Psalms chronologically, meaning we didn't start with Psalm 1. We've done this about, for about three years. This is actually the 12th Psalm Sunday that we've had. Uh, and, and we don't go through them chronologically, so I always feel this need to tell you why I picked the psalm. Today's is really special. Um, I, I looked, just a couple weeks ago, I looked at, at, at the psalms that we've done, and I noticed that we've done, we've done I think, four uh, praise psalms, and I think two lament psalms. I can't, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember what the other ones were. But we've never done a wisdom psalm. The psalms are, are vast. There's 150 psalms, and they're, they're, they, they, range from, they range from wisdom to praise to, to, to laments. A lament is, is, a, is a complaint. 
Uh, in essence, it's, it's a little more complex than that, but it's a complaint. We've done, we've done a couple of laments. We've not done a wisdom psalm, and so I thought, let's do something different. Let's do a wisdom psalm, and let's go to Psalm 1. Uh, pretty simple. Wisdom psalms are, are different in, in the way we should approach them. Now, we still, we still have to recognize that there's poetic, there's poetic natures to all the, all the psalms and all that kind of stuff. And, and every time we come to the psalms, we, we do or we should take a, a, a different approach to how we understand. It's not like reading the book of Romans. Romans, Paul's telling us things, and we take those things and go, okay, I'll do that, or I won't do that, or whatever he's trying to teach us. He's giving us information, whereas in the psalms, we, we're, we're more observant rather than being taught. We're observing but the wisdom psalm, it, the wisdom psalms, and there are a few of them in the in the book of Psalms, uh, is a little bit different in that it's kind of a hybrid. It's both it's both teaching us through observation and teaching us in some ways through uh, through kind of explanation. The reason why Psalm one is here in this particular place is because I think it actually does a very nice job of setting the stage for how we should approach the rest of the Psalms. When I talk about wisdom or wisdom literature or a wisdom Psalm, inevitably we will go to our own minds and think, what is, what is the definition of wisdom to me? And more than likely, at least in some way, your definition of wisdom is affected by the culture that we live in's definition. Of wisdom. Now I say this a lot. I mention how culturally this or that uh, means this or that, or culturally speaking, whatever. I mention that a lot, and the reason why I do that is because there is a reality of how influ- inf- how influence, excuse me, how influenced we are by our culture. Right? We're in every decision that we make is made based on influences in our lives. We, we very rarely do something just because, right? You, you, you work at the job you work at because of certain things that you've heard about that business or you, you want to change something because of, a, of a, a story that you heard or whatever it might be. We, we're constantly doing things out of reactions to the world that is around us. And the world that is around us is very much bathed in what our culture says and thinks. And it's hard to get away from this because it's everywhere. It is involved in everything. Our culture, our culture speaks to us through movies and television, through ads on the radio or ads on YouTube or whatever. Everything that we consumed is influenced by our culture and is taught by our culture. And so therefore, we are then taught by our culture. And one of the things that our culture teaches us is what wisdom is. And I think, I think this, is, this is how I at least understand what our culture says wisdom is. And I'm telling you this because I think it's in contrast to what the Bible says wisdom is. I think, I think wisdom in our culture is having knowledge and then applying that knowledge to benefit the self most of the time. Every once in a while we'll see a person who takes knowledge, applies it properly, and then other people benefit, and we might call that person wise. But, but I, think, I think most of the time we look at a person, we go, a person has knowledge, or they're smart, or they've 
learned a lot. They've gone to college and, and, and gotten a bunch of degrees, and now they know some stuff. But it's not just that they know some stuff. It's that they know how to properly apply that knowledge, and, then, and, and in ap- applying that knowledge, they benefit somehow. This is how we tell if a person is, is wide, or wide, wise. Excuse me. It's how we tell if a person is wise according to our culture. Is that look at all the benefit. So a person might be wise if they're a if they're a stockbroker or they you know buy, you know sell stocks or exchange stocks, whatever the terminology is, you know. And and they're wise because they put in the time to learn all the different stocks and bonds and all the different things that they could buy and sell, and they and they make educated decisions on what they've learned and they apply that knowledge and they properly buy and sell things at the right times and therefore they make money and so we might look at that person and go that person's wise they're wise they 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 get it or they they understand something a little bit deeper than the average person most of the time in our culture we think the wisest people are the people who have experienced the most because they have the most knowledge base they have the biggest knowledge base so typically you see Older people are considered wise because they've experienced more, so they have more knowledge, and they've applied that knowledge throughout their life, and therefore they're, they're wiser than, than most. And, and, and probably truthfully speaking, that's, that's the same both culturally speaking and biblically speaking. But I don't think that that quite fits the definition that's laid out or, or the, the picture that's laid out for us in Scripture on what biblical wisdom is. I think biblical wisdom differs slightly, but, it, but I think in a, in a very important way it differs. I think, I think when we look at wisdom in Scripture, wisdom for a, a, a believer could be defined this way, is having a knowledge of God and applying it for the sake of God. Let me say that in a little bit different way. To know... God's created order and to live according to God's created order. This is another thing that I say quite often, this God's created order bit. What I mean by this is that in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God creates the world. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the days and the nights and the plants and the animals. And he puts man at the capstone of his creation. He says everything is good. And then when he creates man, he says everything's very good. Now I think what God is doing there when he says everything is very good is because he has finally placed the final piece that makes everything operate the way God designed it to operate. Meaning before the fall in Genesis 3, everything in God's creation was perfect and would have operated in perfection forever had there not been the fall. That's God's created order. Now, we learn about God's created order through what we see here in, the, in verse 2, about God's law. We learn about God's created order and God's law because of the fall. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. Subsequently, we join with them. We eat the fruit. We sin against God. We claim to be God ourselves, and we corrupt God's perfect creation. And God's law comes in to teach us or to express to us, to show us where we have erred and where we should turn to go back. So biblical wisdom is knowing and understanding what it means to live in God's created order 
and to then live that out. And so a person who lives out God's created order rightly is a biblically wise person. Now, you'll note the very key difference between those two things. In biblical wisdom, it's not for the sake of the person. It's for the sake of God. We do these things, we live out this way, not because it's going to make me prosperous, or, or not because I will benefit, but because it is a worship, an act of worship to God. So I think that's my working definition of wisdom. And, and the reason why I tell you this is because this is a wisdom psalm, and I think that's exactly what is expressed to us here in this psalm. Look at verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And this is where parallel, parallelism comes in, which is Hebrew poetry. So when we have walks not in the counsel, stands not in the ways, sits in the seat of, this is just, this is just repetition. The psalmist repeats himself three different times, emphasizing this idea. Well, what is this idea? Blessed is the man who does not take his knowledge or counsel or advice from the wicked. Okay, who's the wicked? Who, 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 who are these wicked people, these sinners or these scoffers? Is it, is it wickedness incarnate? Is it people like Nero, Emperor Nero in the, in the first century? Or is it, is it people like Adolf Hitler who, who, are, who are wicked and everybody's like, yeah, they're wicked people? Or is there something else? I, I think it's something else. I think, I think we take into account the, 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 the hyperbole of poetry. We recognize that what, what they're saying is it's not, it's not necessarily that we only take advice from the most horrible people or that we shouldn't take advice from only the most horrible people, but rather I think, it's, I think it's broadly understood to be, do we take our advice from God or from the world? So I think there's only two paths. I think we either learn knowledge from God or we don't learn knowledge from God. And if we don't learn knowledge from God, who are we learn it from? Well, we're learning it from the world. We're learning it from the people around. We're learning it from maybe our culture. So let me, let me try to prove to you that I think this is right. We all will admit that culture is flawed, right? We have moments, even if we, even if we think we're relatively good people, we all, we all admit that we have at least moments of sinfulness and wickedness. We're not, we're not altogether perfectly good people. And so therefore, I think what, what, what the psalmist says, blessed is the man who doesn't take counsel from the world that is broken. Well, who should we take counsel from then? God, right? Simply put, God. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we're so let's 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 put this in a different way. Let's put this in maybe a, a clearer way. Blessed is the man who does not take his counsel, his knowledge, 
from the world, but gets his knowledge from God. But I don't think that's where it stops either. And I think, I think many Christians do okay at this. We take our advice or we get our knowledge from God. We read our Bibles at least a couple times a week. We come to church on Sunday. Maybe we go to Bible study on Wednesday. We, we are, we're, we're being taught by God, right? But maybe some of us ask this question, but it doesn't seem like that changes me all that much. I feel like I'm kind of in the same place I was before. Maybe I'm stagnant. Maybe I'm just, I've just found this rut in life. And I, I think it's this second part of verse 2 that really makes the difference. Blessed is the man whose, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, let's clarify something. The law is not Leviticus. The law in the Old Testament, almost always, especially in the book of Psalms, almost always is the spoken word of God. It's what is, what is tangibly uh, graspable to the people at that time, which is, in, in this case, the first five books of the Bible, almost exclusively at this particular time. So how has God spoken to his people? That's the law of the Lord. Today, that includes the New Testament. Today, that includes what Jesus teaches us through his life and his ministry, through his death and resurrection. It's, it's what Peter and Paul and John and Luke and all the, all the other writers of the New Testament, that's what they're doing. They're expressing to us the word of God. We just have a different language for it. We have a different def, definition for it, a different term for it. Blessed is the man who delights in the spoken word of God and who meditates on that spoken word. Word of God. What does it mean to meditate on the Word of God? Anybody ever read a passage in the New Testament? Say, let's say we're studying Romans off and on, right? Say you read the book of Romans. Have you ever gone, man, I just don't get that? Can everybody raise your hands if you ever read Romans, right? We, we come to places where we're like, man, I just don't get it. Or, or maybe we think, about, think about this for a second. There's lots of things that the Bible teaches. One of the things that the Bible teaches us is that we shouldn't be selfish. Maybe not, maybe not everybody agrees with this. I think this is all over the scriptures. Peter, Paul, in the New Testament, the book of Corinthians, he talks about, he talks about meat sacrificed to idols. And without going into all that, what, what he eventually says is it's okay if you eat meat sacrificed to idols. But if you feel like it's sinful to eat meat sacrificed idols, then you probably shouldn't do that. And then he warns the people who think it's okay to eat meat sacrificed idols not to push the people who think it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed idols because I have freedom over here, but they don't really get that, not yet. And so don't push them into something that's wrong for them. In other words, to simplify it, don't be selfish in the freedoms that you have in Christ. Think of others as much as you think of yourself. Pharisee asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say think of yourself as a worthless person and everybody else is more important. No, it says is think, of you, think of yourself highly because God thinks of you highly and think of everybody around you as, high, as highly also. 
thereby raising everybody up, thereby we push and lead by, by service. Don't be selfish is, is, is a simple way of putting this. Let me ask you a question. How do I apply that into my life? Nobody's got a clear one-sentence answer, do you? Because literally every situation is different. Literally every one. In one situation, I might be able to say one thing about it. Perhaps you drive down the road. You got extra time on your hands, right? You, you're, you're early for work for the first time ever. And you see a car broken down on the side of the road. You notice that they're out of their car. They're looking at stuff. You don't know anything about cars. But you have a cell phone in your pocket. And so you go, you know what? I'm going to do the unselfish thing. I'm not going to be early to work today. I'm going to sacrifice my earliness. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask them if they need me to call somebody. That might be an, that might be an instance of unselfishness. Now let's pretend in a similar situation, you're driving down the road and you see that car parked on the side of the road and you pull over. And then you hear your wife from the, from the passenger seat of the car saying, we got to get to the hospital. I'm giving birth now. It's no longer the proper thing to do because you have other things to think about. You have your wife in the passenger seat of the car giving birth. Right? You see my, you see my point? I could literally preach for a hundred days straight and give you example after example after example after example, and I would still never scratch the surface of what does it mean to be unselfish. There's no end. And so what should we do? We should meditate on the word of God. You, you get that? This is where wisdom comes in. This is what this is how you become biblically wise. You you get the knowledge in your head. Oh, I shouldn't murder somebody. I got that. That's a bit of knowledge that I understand. But you know what Jesus does? He meditates on meditates it on meditates on it in the Sermon on the Mount. And you know what he says? He says, hey, "You've heard it said that you shall not murder, but but I tell you that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder." What did he do there? He meditated on what does it mean for me to apply not killing somebody into my life? Well, perhaps I should love my neighbor as myself. It's bigger than just not taking somebody's life, but he doesn't get there without meditating on the, on the word of God. And I think we can all agree that Jesus was probably the wisest man ever to live. I think he probably tops even Solomon. Okay? Why? Why should we seek biblical wisdom? Why do we do this? I think we do this for the presence of God. Blessed is the man who doesn't take counsel from the world, but takes counsel from the truth of God and meditates on it. It's my working paraphrase there of verses 1 and 2. Sometimes we think a blessing is a very specific thing, especially after coming out of the book of of Genesis. We're in, we're in Genesis. Every time we read about the blessing in Genesis, that's what? That's land, descendants, and the Messiah. That's what it means in Genesis. What blessing means in Genesis, those three things. But blessing in the rest of Scripture isn't necessarily that specific. Blessing in the rest of Scripture is probably easily defined as the presence of God in your life. And so I live out my life 
in this way, seeking not knowledge and wisdom from the world, but seeking knowledge and wisdom from God. And as I seek knowledge and wisdom from God, I draw ever closer to the presence of God. Which then turns into what follows. He is like a tree, he being the blessed man seeking God's word, not, not the world's word. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. Do you know that plants require nutrients? We planted a garden this year. We planted like four or five different things. We planted a couple trees. Literally, everything is dead. It's the saddest thing. We had squash or something that was actually growing. I was like, oh yeah, we might have. And it died this week. It's such a sad day. I think that's because it requires nutrients. What is our nutrients as brothers and sisters in Christ? Our nutrients is the word of God. To sit in it, to dwell in it, to, to marinate in it, to think about what does it mean to take that one idea. Here's my challenge. Here's my challenge to you this week. It's at the wrong time in the sermon, but you, you'll, you'll make it. Here's my challenge this week. Take a truth that you find in Scripture and think about it all week. I think sometimes we think we got to cover the whole Bible today. i got to consume all of this right now. If I don't, I'm not a believer. That's not true. Sometimes I think we should consume a tiny little morsel. We should savor it. We should think about it. We should turn it over in our heads. We should, we should think about all the different situations where that might apply to, to me and that. And, and I could have done that. Or I, I should have done this. Or maybe next time I'll do this. To dwell and to think. And, and I, I, I guarantee that question that I asked, if you, if you had that question, like, I don't, I don't think I change. I don't think, I, I don't think I'm much different now than I was last year. I guarantee you that changes. Because I think as we, as we plant our roots in the, in the water that is the Word of God, the only thing that can happen to us is that we grow. I think it's, I think it's a must. I think we immediately start to grow, and I think what we see is prosperity. This word has been corrupted as well. <clears throat> I don't think it's wealth. It's amazing how how in a in a worldview that is very materialistic, we immediately go to materials. Look at how I'm going to prosper. I'm going to prosper with things. I'm going to prosper with a better job. I'm going to That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what we've been talking about. The word of God being applied into my life. If I don't understand something, Think about it longer. Dwell with it, with the Spirit of God that dwells in you for a longer period of time until God has shown you what that means into your life. And I guarantee you the next time a situation arises where before you weren't sure, now you are sure, your life will be different. You will prosper in the knowledge of God. And, and to put this in a different word, in a different way, you will prosper in the wisdom of God. 
Finally, verse 4. The wicked are not so. Again, wicked is not the Adolf Hitlers of the world. There is no such thing as purely wicked and purely good, except for God and Satan. Man-wise, human-wise. This is something that we do that we we do an injustice with when we think this way. People like people like Abraham Lincoln, right? We're starting to question whether we, th- we should think Abraham Lincoln was a good person or not. Arguably, did more for for the the abolition of of slavery than any other American. And we question whether he was a good person because he because the byproduct of his time was that he didn't think that blacks and whites should be equal. Of course, what he did was amazing. And of course, he was a fool because he's man. I think this is is what defines me as a person. I think there are people who are on the trajectory of goodness or righteousness because they seek after God. And I think there's also people who are on the trajectory of wickedness because they don't seek after God. And so here as he wraps, he says, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. That's blown away by the wind. The things that they do, the places they implant themselves. Yes, so often we say, yeah, it's, it's annoying how bad people have good things happen and good people have bad things happen. But in the end, they're blown away like nothing. They don't have anything to stand on in the end. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. This doesn't mean that they won't be judged. It, won't, it means that when judgment comes, they will no longer stand They will no longer have feet underneath them, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us seek righteousness by seeking the word of God. Let us learn, as the psalmist does, to dwell in God's word. And let's see what happens. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the truths that you lay out for us in the pages of Scripture. Lord, I ask that you would you would open up our eyes as we maybe take a slower pace. Give us truths to meditate on this week. Things that might change the way we walk through life. Things that maybe we didn't understand before. Give us, give us understanding. Lord, draw us closer to you through this uh, purposed seeking. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he became the completion of what you taught. So many things that were veiled to us in the Old Testament are now abundantly clear in the New. But that doesn't mean that we don't 
sit with you and sit with them. But rather it gives us a new purpose, a greater purpose to understand what you have to show us. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your son, Jesus. I pray this in his precious and holy name.